You are listening to a podcast from Rocky Mountain Christian Ministries. For more information about our church, please visit us at rmcmchurch.org. So you can turn over to Romans chapter 10. I don't have any slides this morning because, again, this just, I woke up at around, I guess it had to have been around 4.30, and I had these verses from Romans chapter 10, which was not where I was planning on going this morning, going through my heart. And um, so sometimes that's the Lord and sometimes it's not. Uh, so usually what I do with that, I, I first kind of tried to I try. I tried the Jedi thing of these. These are not the verses you're looking for. I tried that, but that didn't didn't work. And um, tried kind of what I will do in those situations is I'll you know either try and go back to the verses I felt like before for this morning, and and they'll either feel right or not. Or then I'll you know as soon as I got up and got out my Bible and began to look at these, they just opened up. So I really feel like this is where the Lord wants us this morning. And um, so I'm going to read to you from a couple of different translations this morning. Um, probably going to use the New Living Translation today and the Passion Translation, both real good translations. Uh, but Romans chapter 10, uh, we're going to begin in verse 1, and we're just going to look at some different verses here. Um, yeah, let's just start. Romans chapter 10, verse 1, Paul writing, of course, he says, Dear brothers and sisters, the longing of my heart and my prayer to God is for the people of Israel to be saved. I know what enthusiasm they have for God, but it is misdirected zeal. There are a lot of us that have fallen into that category in different periods of our life, and there are probably some people that are there today. We have a, a, a zeal for God, but it's misdirected. We're looking in the wrong place. You know, um, we sang that song this morning that talked about, you know, and it's obviously from the scripture, why are you looking for the living among the graves? You know, and, and of course they were talking there about why are you looking for Jesus who is now alive among the graves? But at the same time, we can, as human beings, we can look for the life of God among that which is dead, that which doesn't have life to give. And there are lots of things in life. There are lots of things on earth and in our society. And there are philosophies and beliefs and all kinds of things that we can look at. And you can look at someone and say, well, there are some good ideas here. And there may be, but there's only one place to find life. And that is in Jesus Christ. He is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the source of life. He is God Almighty. And, and there's just one. And so we can look at all kinds of things. And for Israel... It's pretty, you know, pretty amazing thing here because Israel knew Jehovah God. They had been walking with Jehovah God and he had given them the law. And this is what we had been talking about and we'll continue to talk about in the series we were in on that it's for freedom is that uh, you, can, you can take what, what God meant for good and you can turn it into a religious work, just like what Annie was just talking about. We can, we're good at turning almost anything into a religious work and killing the life in it by turning it into a work, turning it into something that, that we try to do to make ourselves acceptable to God. That's what all religious systems, except for genuine relationship with God through Jesus Christ, other than that, every religious system on earth is a system of works. And so uh, here's Israel 
who actually knew the right God. I mean, they knew Jehovah God. And they had received the law. They had received the commandments. They had had experiences with God. He had delivered them out of Egypt. He had worked miracles among them. They'd have the prophets. All these things come, but at a point, and Paul's viewing it from being that person, from growing up within uh, Israel, within Judaism, within being trained in their best schools, with, with all of with, you know, his knowledge of the, of the Old Testament scriptures, all of that going on, and he can look at it and he can say, they're really zealous. It breaks my heart. They're really zealous for God, but their, their zeal is misguided. It's misdirected. They're looking in the wrong place. And, and he goes on and explains to us, he says, in verse 3, he says, for they don't understand God's way of making people right with himself, refusing to accept God's way. They cling to their own way of getting right with God by trying to keep the law. I want to read that from the Again, I'm going to go back and forth between the Passion and the New Living Translation. Um, The Passion Translation in verse 3, it says, And since they've ignored the righteousness God gives. All right, and let's, let's establish right away, I think most of you know this, we talk about it frequently, the term righteousness doesn't mean perfect behavior. The term righteousness is a position of acceptance with God, a position that we are given of right relationship. That's what the term righteousness means. It is, it is right relationship with God. And, and it says here that they've, re, they've ignored the righteousness God gives. Not that anybody earns right relationship with God, not that kind of righteousness. There is a righteousness, a right standing with God that God gives, and he gives it to all who place their faith in Jesus Christ, instead of in their own abilities, their own works, their own doing the right things enough to make themselves pleasing to God. So again, he says, and since they've ignored, and at this point, of course, Jesus has come, has died, has been raised from the dead, the Holy Spirit's been poured out, and this is some time later, churches are being established, and the gospel is going throughout the world, and power's flowing with it, and all this is already going on, and Paul says, those who have refused this, those who have ignored the righteousness that God gives, okay, wanting instead to be acceptable to God because of their own works, They've refused to submit to God's, the Passion Translation says, faith righteousness. Righteousness, right standing with God, acceptability with God that comes one way by putting faith in Jesus Christ. We can be made righteous, put into right standing with God. Again, don't let that term righteous, we, we, it's just thrown around in English to mean I'm I'm really good. I'm, you know, I'm doing all the right things. I'm holy. I'm perfect. It's used that way. It's not what it means. It means to have right relationship with all of our faults. By the blood of Jesus, by faith in what he did, we enter into this place of righteousness. And he says here, since they've ignored that that God gives, they're wanting to do it and become acceptable by their own works. And he, it says in verse 4, for or because, the Passion Translation says, Christ is the end of the law. 
New Living there says, For Christ has already accomplished the purpose for which the law was given. As a result, all who believe in him are made right with God. The law wasn't bad. The Ten Commandments and the commandments that God gave. You understand that by the time Jesus came, man had gotten involved with the commandments that God gave and had just what, just what we do in Washington, D.C. and in Denver. We, we take one idea and one law that's made and we dissect it into a billion different little minuscule laws to try and regulate everything that could possibly happen, okay? They did the same thing with the law that God gave. But the law that God gave was there to, for a couple of purposes. One was to reveal what holiness looks like. You look at the law and you see what God is like. You see, do not murder because God's not a murderer. Do not steal because God's not a thief. Do not commit adultery because God's not an adulterer. Don't covet your neighbor's stuff because God doesn't do that. He's not jealous in that way. Uh, all of the commandments, okay, they reveal who God is. They reveal what holiness looks like. And they were there to lead us to Christ. They were there to keep us safe. Paul says over in another part of the book of Romans, he says, he says they acted like a guard. They, they kept us essentially in, um, in custody and protective custody. If you'd stay within the law, you'd be safe, but it led you somewhere. He says in one place that they were like a schoolmaster, and that term doesn't mean the principal. It means the guy that went along with the kids to be sure they got safely to school. And there was some instruction that went along the way, but it was the guy that kept them safe as they were going somewhere. That's what the law was. It was never intended to be the be-all, end-all of relationship with God. It was to keep us safe until Christ could come. Okay, and so, so he says here, Jesus fulfilled the law's purpose. The, and this is why Jesus could say, not one bit, not one mark of the law will pass away because the, the law was fine. The law reflected who God was. It was the way that, that we used it to try and, through our own works and our own efforts, become acceptable to God. That was the problem. And so Jesus was able to say, you know, he fulfilled the law. And so now when we connect with him, when we put faith in him, then we receive this gift of right standing with God. But we, we see this over and over throughout the scripture, and we can turn any good spiritual principle, we can turn it into a work. We can turn it into law-keeping. All right, so it wasn't the law that was the problem. It was turning it into law-keeping in order to, if I do the right things and I avoid the wrong things, I will make myself acceptable with God. And it's, it's still true today. We talked about that some last week. We talked about some of that. So let's go on. Verse 5. For Moses writes that the law's way of making a person right with God requires obedience to all of its commands. All right, this was the thing about the law. It required perfect obedience. If you did want to make yourself right with God through the law, it required perfect obedience inward and outward 
24-7. Inward, in our thought life, you couldn't have a thought, but then do the right thing. The thought was sin. You already, and once you violated one point of the law, you were judged as if you had violated all of the law. That's how law works. So Paul says in other places, and I don't, I don't, I need to stay off of that because it's our other message. Paul says in other places, if you want to live by the law, you need to understand what the law really says. You need to understand how it actually works. Okay, and we'll we'll talk about that another week. All right, but he says the law's way of making a person right with God requires obedience, perfect obedience to all of its commands. But faith's way of getting right with God says, don't say in your heart who will go up to heaven to bring Christ down to earth. And don't say who will go down to the place of the dead to bring Christ back to life. Let me, uh, I want to read this. I love the way the Passion Translation translates this part. I'm just going to go back to verse 5. Are you with me so far? Moses wrote long ago about the need to obey every part of the law in order to be declared right with God, because it says the one who obeys these things must always live by them. But we receive the faith righteousness that speaks an entirely different message. And it says, here's what faith says. Here's what's coming to God through faith says. Don't for a moment think that you need to climb into the heavens to find the Messiah and bring him down or to descend into the underworld to bring him up from the dead. Don't think for a minute that you have to do, you have to exert yourself to the extreme. You have to climb the hardest mountain in your life to make yourself, to get to a place in yourself where you now are acceptable to God and then you can find the Messiah. Don't think you have to overcome the greatest sin and temptation that's been in your life. Don't think you have to uh, make the greatest sacrifice. You know, there are a lot of There are a lot of believers, Christians, that have been taught, have gotten the idea that Christianity means you really should never enjoy anything on this earth. It's it's called asceticism. It means I'm going to set aside anything that would bring pleasure into my life as a sacrifice, as it's, it's sort of like anything that we could enjoy doing or having or anything in this earth, it's inherently evil. And so I'm giving it all up. I will have nothing. I will be nothing. I will, uh, I will accomplish nothing. And that is my sacrifice. That is my way of making myself acceptable to God. There are, what, what I've found over the years is that, you know, the scripture tells us God gives us all things to enjoy. It's okay to enjoy things in life. It's okay to enjoy experiences in life. When we have, but when we get, the problem is, and we all know this, we can get enjoyable things, we can end up with those being more important to us than God, well, then that's a problem. That's an idol in your life. If, if, 
if something you enjoy doing or having starts making decisions for you about how and when you connect with God, that's an idol. It's beginning to control your life. If you avoid I don't want to just make it about church, but if you avoid church, you you avoid your time in the Word, you avoid connecting with God, you avoid going to the Bible study because I'd really rather be out doing this, well, that becomes an issue. But when you get those things turned around and God becomes first in your life, then all of a sudden, God will bring things into your life to enjoy. God will bring, if you like to do things outdoors, God will bring some of those things into your life and you will enjoy them more because you're doing them with God now. You're not, he is first in your life. And all of a sudden, wow, I'm having more enjoyment out riding my bike than I've ever had in my life because I'm doing it with God and with people I love and things are in the right order in your life, God can, you can enjoy anything, okay? So it's not about setting everything aside. You know, it says, don't think that you have to climb into the heavens. You have to, oh yeah, you on your, by your will and desire and work, you have to overcome, you have to sweat, you have to get on top of this then you can talk to Jesus. That's totally backwards. You'll never get there. You will never get there. Don't think that you have to go down and fight the demons on your own. I got to get this out of my life before I can talk to God. It's backwards. What Jesus has given us is the ability to come to him exactly the way we are today with whatever you're fighting, with whatever sins you have in your life, with whatever We've all got it. We all come to him a mess. I don't care. Honestly, if you go through all that and you're doing all that on your own before you come to him, you're really coming to him a mess, just like all the rest of us. But your mess happens to be your self-effort. So so it's not about that. That's not the message that faith speaks. That's not what faith says. That's not how faith works. And I'll just keep reading in the Passion here. In verse 8, it says, But the faith righteousness, okay, the, the way that God has set it up for us, we receive, speaks to us in these words, God's living message. That's the gospel. That's his word. God's living message is close to you. As close as your own heart beating in your chest and as near as the tongue in your mouth. The scripture's telling us there that Jesus is not far from you. He's not far away. It doesn't matter where you are. He's right there. His word is right there. It's as close as the heart beating in your chest. It's as close as the words of your mouth. I grew up with the idea I believed in God, but I'd been taught that he was distant. I'd been taught that he was still hanging on that cross. Number one, saw it every week when we went to church. He's up there on the cross. He wasn't out of the tomb. He's on the cross. And it's my fault. So I feel bad. And that seemed to be the point. Maybe I missed some things, but that seemed to be the point. And so, you know, but but God was distant. The good thing was I had a mother that even though she went to that church, she didn't believe that. And she said, you can talk to God right where you are. And I didn't know any better than to believe that. So I believed that. And I did. And he talked back to me before I was saved because he's right there. 
And he wants to lead you and he wants to guide you to this place where, where you from your heart just accept what he has done and accept who he is and bow your knee to him. And so whatever it takes in your life or my life or somebody out there's life, whatever it takes, he will walk along with you and draw you. He's not distant. He's not waiting for you to climb up to the heavens or go down to the grave to figure it out and get everything taken care of so you can come to him. It's just not who he is. It's not the way he does it. It's the way religion will tell you it is, but it's not the way he does it. So let's go to uh, verse 9. I'm going to go back to the... NLT. Um, read, look at these two verses. I mean, these are very uh, well-known verses to most of us, these next couple of verses. But, but verse 9 says, I'm, I'm going back to the passion. I, I love both of these. It's hard to pick. All right. It says, and we'll uh, begin at the beginning. And, and what is God's living message? It is the revelation of faith for salvation, which is the message we preach. Faith, not works. Faith for salvation. It's, you know, we make that so complicated. Faith is simply me saying, I recognize Jesus, who you are. I don't understand it all, but my heart says, you are God. You are the Savior, and I'm going to trust that. I put my trust there, not in what I can do. We have obviously got a bunch of things to figure out here, but we're starting here. My heart says, you are God. You are the Savior. We hear a message. Sometime the word gets into our heart. Maybe it's just a friend talking to us. Maybe it's preaching. Maybe it's reading the Bible. Maybe it's whatever. But that word gets into our heart. And there's a recognition that goes on in here, in our hearts, that we know. There's just a knowing that happens because we have a knower built into us. And there's just this knowing, this recognition that happens that this is God. I don't understand it all, but this is God. And we yield to that. That's faith. That's putting our trust in him. And, and it, it goes on, it says, for if you publicly declare with your mouth, with your mouth, your mouth, not somebody else's mouth, that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will experience salvation. You won't build your own salvation. You will experience the salvation that comes by faith. If you, do you get it? You publicly declare. You, the, some of the translations say confess or declare. You openly say with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will experience salvation. Look at verse 10 with it. The heart that believes in him receives the gift of righteousness of God, and then the mouth confesses resulting in salvation. I'm go look at the, let's look at the other translation. Just stick with me. I know for some of you these are very familiar verses. Verse 9, again, this is a New Living Translation. If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God. I think the 
uh, New King James there probably says justified. It is, it is, get that, it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God. By believing in your heart that you are made right with God. And it is by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. There's an enormous principle here that we kind of go over, especially if we've been taught these verses about salvation forever. And many of us have. And certainly this is the way we make Jesus the Lord of our life. But there's a huge spiritual principle here that works in all areas of our life. Our heart is built to know God and to have faith in God, to trust. It's actually built to have, it's built to have faith. Let's just stop right there. We can have faith in all kinds of things. We can have faith in our works. We can have faith in a religious system. We can have faith in all kinds of things. But what I really felt like the Lord wants somebody to get, and I don't know if you're in here or if you're out there, but we Westerners, we have become so intellectualized. We have been so um, edumacated. We have been so taught to live out of, out of the brain, okay, that We don't understand that faith happens in the heart. Faith does not mean I can answer all the questions that my head comes up with or that somebody else's head comes up with. Faith means there's something that goes off in here. There is is a recognition that it is God and I'm trusting from here my brain can still and probably will still ask all kinds of questions about God and about me and about you and about the universe and about ants. And, you know, I mean, everything. It's like, God, how does this work? That's up here, okay? But when you hear the word, there's something in here that quickens and says, that's home, that's dad, that's, I, I know this person. I was made to know this person. That's faith coming to your heart. And it's from there. It's from that, it's a choice, but it's, it's not in, so often we get to that spot and then we start, we start down this big questioning road and we drift away from that connection instead of at that point saying, yes. I don't understand it. I don't know everything. God, I have a lot of questions, but you know what? You're God. And now I'm choosing you're my God. And for those of us, you know, if, if you've never done that in your life, and, and I think I know most everybody in here, if you've never done that in your life, that's how we get saved. We allow that faith in our heart to supersede the questions that are going on in our head And we use our mouths to pray it, whatever, you know, pray it in English, pray it in Spanish, pray it in French, pray it in SAR, pray it in whatever your natural language is. Use your own language. The Bible, the Gospels are written in street language. If we could read it from the original text, they're written in street language. You don't have to be fancy. You don't have to do anything but express God, I recognize this is you and I am coming to you, Jesus. I am accepting you as my savior. I am committing my life to you. Lord, come and just fill me with your spirit and do, give, do, I'm giving you my life. Just do all that you want to do in me. 
And the Bible says, when you believe in your heart, that's the moment that you're justified. That's the moment that you enter into that acceptable place with God. And then there's something about releasing it through our mouth. We're doing a couple things when we do that. We're agreeing with God, number one, because God says Jesus is Lord. Okay, that's God's, that's God's opinion about that whole subject. Jesus, my son, is Lord. He is Savior. He's the way, the truth, and the life. Take it or leave it, okay? Only he's nicer about it than that. But, but so we're agreeing with God. We are speaking out what agrees with God. And we are, there, there's something about our words, and I don't think any of us totally understand this, but the Bible says that life and death is in the power of our tongue. And, and, and so there's something about the confession, something about declaring it, something about speaking it out that activates and releases the power of the spiritual truth you're working with. And this, the same thing is true if, if I've been told all my life that I'm, uh, my, my whole family back generations, they've all been uh, alcoholics. And so I'm coming along and I'm struggling with that. And that's a fact that I am, it is a fact at that point in my life, I am drinking too much, I'm struggling with alcohol, and I have these voices in my life saying, this is just the way it is, kid, because everybody in our family has done this. And you could take that to a lot of, you could take that to uh, physical issues, and, and it's like, well, that's, you got that DNA from your mom, you have that problem in your foot because you have, you know, mom had that, grandma had that, you know, and, and so it's just, that's the way it is. DNA is a real thing, but you can take a, you can have a, a fact, a natural fact in your brain, and your brain knows that's a natural fact, but your heart knows there's a bigger truth. Your heart can grab hold of, by the stripes of Jesus, I have been healed. By, the, by what Jesus did at the cross, I am a new creature in Christ. Old things have passed away. Maybe that is my family history. Old things have passed away, and all things have become new. That my heart can grab that truth and I let that come out of my mouth instead of the other that maybe I've been saying all of my life. I let that come out and, and it releases the life that's in that truth. And we can get healed at that place. We can get set free from things at that place. We can, as we're talking about this morning, get saved at that place. We can enter in, but it's this principle of believe in the heart. And man, that when we believe in the heart, what God has said, the reality of it is there. And then let it come out of your mouth. Openly declare it. And it says, you will be saved. It doesn't say you might be. It works some of the time. Sometimes it doesn't. You just got to keep at it. It doesn't say any of that. It goes on in verse 11. It says, as the scriptures tell us, Anyone who trusts in him, this translation says, will never be disgraced. Other translations say, anyone who trusts in him will never be put to shame. And otherwise, in other words, that whole process that we just talked about, if you give yourself to it, it's not going to fail. You're not going to walk away from that and, and find out that, oh, God didn't like me enough for that to happen. God, I wasn't good enough for that to happen because it's by faith. He made it by faith so everybody can do it. You have that knower on the inside. Everybody does. Not all of us can do some of the things that religion wants us to do. And, I, and they can be birthed out of us. The good things, the fruit that comes forth from that relationship, 
you'll be a whole new person, no question about it. But as far as achieving, you know, climbing up to the heavens, going down to the depths, you know, as far as that whole thing, overcoming things in our own, not everybody can do that. Probably nobody can do that. But everybody can believe. So this is what made salvation available to everybody. In verse 12, Paul says, Jew and Gentile are the same in this respect. So whether you grew up, you know, in in Israel or in a religious system, or you grew up totally separate from it all, we're all the same in this respect. They have the same Lord who gives generously to all who call on his name. For verse 13, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. It doesn't say maybe. Just read this and we'll be done out of the Passion Translation. Um, it, it says, every back in verse 11, the scriptures encourage us with these words, everyone who believes in him will never be disappointed. So then faith eliminates the distinction between Jew and non-Jew, for he is the same Lord for all people. And he has enough, I love this, he has enough treasures to lavish generously upon all who call on him. And it's true. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be rescued and experience new life. So I feel like that's where we were supposed to go this morning. And just remind ourselves, for those of you who've already made Jesus Lord of yourself, or the Lord of your life, it's, I guess it's kind of the same. It's a good reminder to know, because we've got to walk. We, this, after we accept Jesus as Lord and Savior, we enter into this new life. And it's all new at first. And we start to, you know, hopefully you get connected with a, a good church that's teaching the word and you you make friends with some believers and you have somebody there to kind of walk you through and, and disciple you along. And, and obviously you start reading the Bible, start in the New Testament, especially when you first start, start in the New Testament. And, and you start learning about Jesus, you start growing in this. And it's real easy for us at that point to start, we, okay, I understood it was by faith that I was saved. But now to get to this next level, to grow, to overcome this thing, maybe that's where I have to put my own effort. It isn't. You keep connecting with him and, and drawing in his life and his word and trusting what he's saying and let him do the work of transformation. It's not that we don't have to change. We all have to change for the rest of our lives. But it doesn't happen. It never, self-effort has no place in the Christian life. We are fruit bearers. We are vines that stay connected to the branch and let his life flow through us and we are transformed by it and we produce different outward things out of that. That's how the Christian life works. And I just and I just feel the need to say this this morning. Obviously, if there's anybody in here and you've never prayed that prayer and you've never given your life to Jesus, you, I... I have no problem. In fact, I encourage you, as we close this service, come up and talk to me. And if you, I would like to pray with you. But I have a little, I just don't want to say this wrong because I don't want to put anybody off. If you need that prayer, come pray. And I'd love to pray with you. But I, I guess I have a concern sometimes that people confuse walking an aisle in a church and having somebody pray for them with believing and confessing with their mouth. 
You have to do this personally. And if there's somebody out there this morning, I know there's somebody somewhere that needs this this morning. If you're watching this morning or you're watching this five years from now, I would encourage you, if, if you need to get in touch with us or get in touch with somebody in your life that you know knows Jesus and is walking with God. And, and yes, you need to connect with people, but the prayer needs to be simple and heartfelt. It just needs to be your words saying, God, I recognize who Jesus is. And right now today, I accept him as Lord. And, and so even if I pray with you, that's what I want to happen. I want it to be you. And I want it to be your words. And if I can help with that, wonderful. But man, it, I got born again all by myself in my basement, reading the Bible. And all of a sudden, I realized Jesus is God. And that knower went off and said, that is home, that is dad, that is where we need to go. And I just, I don't even know what I prayed. I don't know what I prayed. I don't know, I I just prayed. I just gave my life to him and he's faithful. So I don't know if that made sense. It was a really terrible altar call. It really wasn't an altar call. (laughs) So, but but if you're out there, I did want to say today, there are, There are email addresses, there are telephone numbers, there are all kinds of things on our website if you're out there. Get in touch with us. If you want prayer, if you need help, if you need materials, whatever it is that you need, get in touch with us if you're making this decision today. And for the rest of us, I'm going to pray, going to close the service. We can go to fellowship. And if you need prayer for that or for anything else, if you need prayer for healing, you need prayer for anything, we'll be here afterwards. Okay, is this all right? Let's, uh, yeah, let's stand up this morning. Father, I just, again today, I just can't quite put it in words, what I'm feeling in my heart today. But Lord, we're here today with a special remembrance of what you did for us at the cross, in the grave, in your time, preaching to the captives, in your resurrection. Lord, you're showing me this week just how incredible that moment must have been in heaven. I cannot fathom the celebration that happened in heaven when life came back into Jesus. And I just thank you for that, Lord. And, and this morning, Lord, if there's anybody that's hearing this or any time in the future that hears this, I pray, Father, this morning that every one of us, every heart, would grab hold of who you are. We believe with our hearts and we say it with our mouths. Jesus is Lord and he is my Lord. I accept you today as my Lord and Savior. And Lord, I thank you for the way you lead us and guide us from that moment on through our whole life. The way that you bring different relationships to us, the way you bring your word to us, the way you teach us and train us and grow us and forgive us over and over and we can walk and live in your life. And we just thank you for that this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, we're going to be dismissed on the count of three. We're going to say Jesus is Lord over the Gunnison Basin in the world. Go out there. I hope you hang around unless you have great plans. Hang around and, and enjoy some time together. Okay. And again, if you need prayer, come on up. All right. Ready? Yep. Sure. Yep. Okay. One, two, three. Jesus is Lord over the Gunnison Basin and the world. Amen. Go out there and be the church. Thank you for listening to this message from Rocky Mountain Christian Ministries in Gunnison, Colorado. 
we hope you will visit us at rmcmchurch.org, like our Facebook page, or subscribe to our messages on YouTube.